This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Well, let me bring in the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio this Friday because uh, we have got the next hour and 50 minutes to tap into their brains and get their uh, their brilliance here on the air. So uh, first up, ladies first tonight, Sarah Kane, <laughs> reporter here on 900 CHML. You hear her every day here. She worked all day, went home. <laughs> and is now back in. Sarah, thanks for coming back. Oh, thanks for having me. And next to her, a veteran now. Man, he's, he's going to get the blazer soon with the uh, with the crest. <laughs> that would be Scott Urquhart. Formerly, you knew him from CHCH, but now the owner and operator of Urked, U-R-K-E-D, Urkedfreelance.com. If you need something written, if you need something done for your website or... Or if you just want to read a few things, a uh, good place to come. Yeah. Or, or you know what? I'm sure there's probably a phone number you could, or a, an email. Just call him, text him, email him, just for a conversation. If you're lonely, you just want someone to talk to. <laughs> Scott's your guy. Give him a call. There was a story. Let's get right into this. There was a, um, a bit of a strange story this week that I'm not quite sure I understand. And Sarah, this seems like one. I'll start with you on this one because... Uh, okay. There was a ranking that came out this week that says Hamilton is the 13th best city in Canada for women. Now, first of all, I haven't a clue how they actually reach these kind of rankings, but you've been around, you've been in other cities, you've, you, you are a woman, you live in this, I mean, are we halfway down in your estimation, the list of the places in Canada? Are we, because I would look at 13 and say, that's, that's not a, a compliment. Well, it's interesting because I didn't read this story even as a woman. I did see the headline. Uh, I did see some of the other places that were on the list, and some were in quite close proximity to Hamilton, yet were quite a bit further down. So I'd like to know what their criteria was. I, I know that some of it was whether they had female politicians, that be that a premier or you yeah, know, we, a mayor if, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, if you have a female mayor, you get like massive brownie points and you jump way off. Well, do you not have to have a female run for mayor in order to have a mayor? And we have a female leader of of provincial party, but yeah. that doesn't seem to count. I, I look at this and I think this is, to me, it's kind of a slap against Hamilton. And I don't know, tell me, is Hamilton a terrible place as a woman to live? No, definitely not. And if you even if you look at our, our newsroom, I mean... <laughs> There's, there's lots of women working here. I mean, we certainly feel comfortable living, working in this city. Like, there's opportunities here for us. It, it's growing. It's thriving. It's a great place for entrepreneurs as well. And lots of them, as you will see, are female entrepreneurs starting up a business here. So I certainly don't think that Hamilton should be so far down the list. Because, again, Scott, I look at 13, and it's like, okay, well, there's a lot of cities in Canada, but there's not a lot of big cities in Canada. If we're listed as 13th, that's basically saying... If it's, you're a woman, steer clear of Hamilton. It's kind of backwards town. No, it's kind of middling. I, I wouldn't say backwards, but it's middling. And uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, I've been in this town now over 30 years, 30, 36 years now. And it's always, as far as I can remember, had a very, very strong uh, streak of, of female-powered, uh, you know, sort of a drive to to it, whether it was uh, back with uh, uh, Sheila Copps in the mm-hmm. day or what, First whatever. female deputy prime minister. Yeah, or Ellen Fairclough. Let's go way back, you know. Well, you worked at CHCH. <laughs> was, uh, was Connie not the first female anchor? Yep. For, I mean, it's yeah. so we have this history of, as you say, strong yeah. females, accomplished females, and beyond their accomplishments, they've had opportunities here. Like, you can be accomplished all you want, but if there's a thumb holding you down saying you can't get, you can't, you know, achieve anything, that's what, they've had lots of opportunities. I just look at this and I think, who who's doing this? It sounds like someone who's never actually visited the city of Hamilton. 
Well, I mean, uh, as Sarah said, what exactly were the full criteria? I don't think anyone ever explained that. But if it's, if it's just the number of people elected, that doesn't seem like much to base that kind of a... Uh, yeah, not too long ago, topic. there were several female premiers all at the same time, right. you know, different levels. So, I mean, that certainly cannot be the only measure of whether this is a good place for a woman to live and thrive. I mean, there's many more things that go into it than that. Well, here's the... Um here is the uh, the list. Let me just find... Uh, I'll get it in a second. Oh, here we go. Uh, in order, Victoria, B.C., number one. And the reason, apparently, is because they have a female mayor. So that gave them a massive bump. And I, again, I look at that and I think, okay, you've got a female mayor. For all the other three million women in the city, how's that helping you? I mean, honestly, how's that really making it a better place to live for a woman? Anyway, uh, Kingston, London... Quebec City, Gatineau, Montreal, Sherbrooke, St. John's, Vancouver, Halifax, Toronto, Kitchener, Waterloo, and then Hamilton. And then, interestingly, Ottawa, where did we not <laughs> just, the federal government, did they not just make half the cabinet female? And Rona yeah. Ambrose. And Rona as an, Ambrose. As an interim leader. I mean, if, if that's their only yeah. basis is political, you know, leaders and being elected, I think they need to look a little further than that. Well, and, and a part of this, apparently, uh, when they look back at this, it was due to uh, representation in leadership, which, again, I think we've just touched on. We've right. got men and, and not just, you know, you can talk about mayors or head of political parties, but who's in charge of school boards or, or leadership roles in school boards or, or, or hospitals or whatever? There's lots of that here. And poverty is another, well, do we have more or obviously more impoverished women in this city than men? Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question is, you know, the wage, what, what is, you know, the wage between a man and a woman in a workplace or whatever that may be the gap. factoring in. Yeah, the gap. Exactly. The wage gap. How does that factor in? Well, sorry, you don't want a city-by-city basis. Well, I, I was going to say, yes, there may be, and there, there has been traditionally, uh, a serious problem with poverty here. But we're also um, one of the most dynamic cities in trying to deal with that, um, whether it be with the work of, uh, you know, the Social Research Planning Council or uh, Hamilton Community Foundation or many other groups. Um Hamilton has, has kind of pioneered a lot of things. Because they've had to. Yes. Because exactly if I recall right. correctly, and you can correct, Scott, you've probably done more stories on this than I ever would have. But as I recall, we have had, we have one of the highest levels of people on social assistance. We did, yeah. In Hamilton. I don't know if that's still the case, but we have traditionally had a very high level. So you are going to then have, whether it's men or women, you're going to have a higher rate of poverty. Because that goes hand in hand with those things. And you also have single motherhood, which is, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's probably politically incorrect to point this out. Single motherhood traditionally is a recipe for poverty. It really is. Well, one of the, the, the things that I remember from my days on the street was uh, uh, looking into the poverty situation in single motherhood here in Hamilton. And I wondered, is it higher here in Hamilton than anywhere else? And uh, apparently it was not. It, the number of uh, single mothers out there was not any you know, great number higher than any other city. But what was different was that the uh, people in the welfare office here were so efficient and so understanding and so good at what they did that they were getting benefits to people who came in to apply three to four weeks earlier 
than anywhere else in the country. And so it just attracted people from elsewhere in the country. It attracted. Co- a- yeah. Attracted yes. people okay. to bring them to Hamilton so that they, they'd be able to get on to benefits earlier, which was a stunning surprise at the time. But I, I think Hamilton has always wrestled with that, and I think we've done very well. And uh, I look now to things like female entrepreneurship. I mean, hardly a week goes by that I don't look into the spec and see a feature on a, on a young woman who's leading a company, forming her own company, you know, uh, designing uh, clothing, uh, starting her own shop downtown. It, it's really impressive. Yeah, not too long ago, Cake and Loaf, which is just down on Dundurn, they're a local bakery, two women, I believe they're both moms, and they started up this business together, and they just won a major award to redo it and expand. And Perfect they have example. An, yeah, they have another location now in the farmer's market, and it's just growing from there, and they're Blackbird just one Studios, example of many. There's another one. Blackbird yeah. Studios, yeah. Uh, Mabel's Labels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another yeah. great example. Great example. I, I, again, I look at something like this, and... It's the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives. And I, I kind of get, okay, so if we do this, we raise awareness, we, we maybe embarrass some places, I don't know what they're, you know, to, in order to try and make things better. But again, I look at this and I think you're going to put Hamilton halfway down the list. And I think it's an unfair slap to the city. I, I really do. I really do. I think a lot of these studies end up becoming farces because the people who actually live in these cities say... That's not our experience. Of course, there are people who struggle. There are in every single city. There are people who have very sad stories, probably a lot of them in Hamilton. But that's the case, I would think, in almost every city. I just, maybe, you know, as a guy, I'm not allowed to say this. I don't know. But I look around, I see, yeah, there are women who struggle in this city, but I don't see an abnormally, atrociously high number. And as you say, Sarah, those who want to get ahead, or, sorry, let me reword that. That's not the way I wanted to say it. Those who have come up with great ideas and put things forward. No one's holding them back in this city. There are opportunities for people to get ahead, male or female. Yeah, there's certainly no sense that they're being hindered by anything, you know, more so than anybody else. Nothing institutional is holding them back. Exactly. These people are really all trailblazers here in the city, so there's no reason for that. And you can skim some interesting stats off the surface, but unless you live in a city and know, how can you really put out a report about, you know, what it is like to be a woman in, in, you know, any given place? Yeah, I go back, you know, and one other name as we go to break, one other name pops up and she's not doing it right now, but Teresa Cascioli when she yes. turned the, the beer plant around and, you know, again, it was a dying business here in Hamilton and she was able to make it work and make a lot of money. And I don't know, I, I, I just look at this and go, I, probably you might want to visit well, maybe they did. I don't know. But it just, it, it seems to me to be a, a almost a farcical kind of study that, that we're, we're below all those other places. And even if we, you know, if, you, if it's incremental, minuscule little things, people who actually take this stuff seriously look at this and go, oh, well, Hamilton's still pretty backwater. Look, they're only halfway up there. They're, you know, not very good. Well... Try yeah, it. And Try well, it. Well, it's wonderful to see women in politics in 2016. Is that the only thing? In 2016 <laughs> also, for us to be lauding that as the great success, I think is a little bit sad. True, <laughs> true. Quick break. Back after this on The Scott Radley Show. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Back to Scott Urquhart and Sarah Kane, the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio. And guys, a week or two ago with the panel... We were talking about a school board, I believe it was in Durham region, where teachers now and administrators were removing students' lunches. 
kids' lunches in elementary schools if they didn't achieve or reach certain high enough levels of nutrition, which to me, I'm waiting for the first lawsuit to land on this one when some kid doesn't get to eat his lunch because the teacher decided a snackable was not acceptable for school. And anyway, so then I come across this from the Hamilton Public Health Services, fun school lunches, healthy eating fact sheet. This is what they're suggesting that parents pack for their school kids. Let me give you some examples before we dive into this of some things that they would suggest that you should do for your children. The cube theme, cubes of low-fat cheese, cubes of whole grain baguette, cubes of watermelon, and a frozen 100% juice box, uh, coin or round shape theme, carrot and cucumber coins, round whole grain crackers, pineapple rings and meatballs, add tomato sauce for dipping to round out the theme. How about the South Asian-inspired meal of curried chicken, dried cranberry, celery salad rolled in a roti, cantaloupe wedges, and fortified soy beverage to drink. <laughs> I don't know if this is a restaurant or, or what this is supposed to be. The Asian-inspired teriyaki vegetable broccoli and tofu stir-fry with rice vermicelli noodles. <laughs> the Italian meal of cheese-filled tortellini and mini meatballs with fresh tomato sauce for dipping, salad with favorite veggies and low-fat Italian dressing or dip. And on and on and on. My question is the same I had when we talked about the Durham people, and it probably actually ties in in some ways to what we were just talking about, about women in the city and working. Do the people who come up with these ideas think that we have nothing to do except sit at home and make bento boxes of colorful foods for our children? <laughs> we, uh, men, dads or moms, we work. All day, you come home, you find what's in the fridge, and you scramble something together to throw it in a lunchbox that's semi-nutritious, hopefully, and that's going to keep your kid full. And that's, for a lot of people, the best we can come up with. Is this too much to ask for parents to be putting this out and saying, yeah, do this, do this. Any kind of vermicelli, soy, beverage, blah, blah, blah. It it sounds like a lot to me. Yeah, I'm thinking... uh you know, who who makes the decision about this, about what's nutritious and what not? Uh, I mean, there's so many questions that arise in terms of how expensive is this? Can, well, there's that family, too. Can families afford this? Who gets to make the call about what my kid can eat and whether it's appropriate or not? Um, you know, the, it, it's really just endless. And it, it also begs the question of the nanny state. I'm not smart enough to take care of my own child and make a nutritious lunch, so you're going to tell me how to do it. Um you know, there's all kinds of things, I think, wrong, at least optically, with this kind of a list. Sarah, we have tried in schools, I think, to get rid of elitism, to to try and make it more socially that we're all equal. You know, a lot of schools came in with uniforms, so we wouldn't have kids wearing designer clothes and other kids in less expensive stuff. Is this not doing that again? So the kid who shows up with the really fancy food and the other kid whose family can barely afford lunch, but... With the peanut butter sandwich well, that no, you no, can't no. even have yeah, now? Yeah, you can't bring peanut butter. <laughs> oh, you can't have Heaven that, forbid no. you show up with peanut butter. <laughs> no, but you're supposed to now have... Try this one. The yeah. dark pumpernickel bread spread with light cream cheese topped with sliced strawberries and green lettuce. Add a yogurt tube and a quarter cup of roasted chickpeas for crunch. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I mean, sure, I guess it can go home and be a bit of a guideline. Certainly, you want to have some vegetables and fruits and healthy things in there, but a kid shouldn't be turned away because, oh no, a fruit roll-up made it in too. Um, but you that's know. now frowned upon. If you send, because when this stuff comes out, see, my thought is when this stuff comes out, what it's saying is you better live up to this. 
Because if you don't, we're going to be giving you the stink eye because you're sending your kid <laughs> with just a slice of processed cheese between white Wonder Bread. And you're now, look, as a parent, you have failed. You maybe, have maybe failed. Maybe we should go the direction that, that France has gone many years past. And I don't know whether you ever saw Where to Invade Next, Roger Moore's okay. yeah, Where to Invade Next. But he it's on went, my Netflix list. haven't seen it yet. <laughs> he went to France to, to look at their school lunch program. And France uh, has set up that there is a, a specific lunchtime for everybody in the school. It's not staggered. Everybody breaks at the same time and goes for lunch. And they consider it uh, a social activity as well as uh, a nutritional activity. The lunches are paid for by the French government. They are vetted for nutrition uh, at the highest levels. Every single school has a kitchen with a chef and a staff in it. And uh, they present meals every day that that have uh, three to four courses, uh, including fruits and vegetables and, uh, you know, whatever else, cheeses and whatever else might come along. And the entire program... Baguette, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> no wine. <laughs> but, but the entire program costs less to run than the United States spends in its lunch uh, programs uh, to feed kids in the inner city. As you were discussing that, I was wondering... Honestly, what the French government pays teachers, because we all know that the cost of education in this country has gone nothing but straight up. And I wonder if we were not spending so much on other parts in education, salaries and everything else, if we'd be able to afford to do this. I don't think if you tried to bring this forward now, there's, it would be prohibitively oh, it, it, there's expensive. No, there's no way, no way it would happen. But it, it's interesting just the same. And in place of that, though, we're going to send you uh, a list of the stuff so that you can be the French chef. But, that's what it's, <laughs> but, but does it not sound like that? Let me give it you another does, one. It does. Summer rolls made with favorite strips of vegetables, fruit, and leftover pork slices wrapped in rice paper rolls. Who has rice paper rolls sitting around their house? What have adults eat that for dinner at home? Who's, who says they're going to... Have you ever tried to wrap a rice paper roll? <laughs> they all just get stuck yeah. to your fingers yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But again, this is, this is foods... You know, you say French chef. This is... What they're proposing is that every parent make a lunch that is essentially a restaurant quality lunch for your kid. And what happens when the kid goes to school? We were all kids. You get this fancy, fancy thing. And what do you do? You trade it for a chocolate bar. If possible, yeah. If at sure. all possible, yeah. find some sucker who will take this thing off your hands. Or a bag of chips, yeah. I just, uh, to me, it it is, it, it smacks of complete elitism. Because there's very few people, I think, who will either have the parents who will, will have the time, or as Sarah said, the money to do this. That last one I just described, that is not going to be an inexpensive lunch. No. And we just had a nutritionist on not that long ago, Shannon Crocker, who's who's local. And apparently last year they had an average, you know, a liter of milk was almost three bucks, where two liters of cola was at like a buck fifty. So, I mean, there's those price points. And obviously, if you're crunching the numbers and you're a family, sometimes the unhealthier choice is the more attractive one just based on the budget. Just based and on volume. Yeah, just you, based, yeah, yeah, exactly. And volume and what you're going to get out of it. And that those are the numbers you crunch and that's what you go to school with. And, and we, we uh, know in this city that there are a lot of families, a lot of kids, because there are breakfast programs. There's a lot of kids in the city that go to school with hungry. no food, that go to school hungry. And we're sending this now saying, not even just don't come hungry. Mom, make sure, or dad, I mean, let's not be sexist, but one of you, make sure you come up with something so fancy and so robust in the culinary arts 
that your kid will show up and everyone go, ooh, look at little Johnny and what he has. Yeah. Uh, there are a number of nights when uh, we don't even get that fancy doing our own dinner, let alone anything else. Exactly. Yeah. A number of nights. Yeah. I mean, my uh, wife, thankfully, I, I, by a number, I mean like five out of seven. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, my wife is an exceptional chef because if it was up to me for cooking, it would be KD every single night, except the nights we went out for dinner. But again, what happens now if you're a kid and you just show up for school and you've got a bowl of craft dinner, a Tupperware of craft dinner? Yeah. Do the teachers look at you? Do the other kids and go, oh, you're, you know. Do they confiscate your KD? Yeah, I should mean, you go hungry instead? Yeah. Well, we haven't, as far as I know, that has not happened in Hamilton yet. That was a Durham thing that they were doing this. But again, are you looking at this now saying, well, you know, look, a little whispering, look, Johnny's poor. Yeah. He's, he's poor. He can only afford the KD. Especially if you're eating rice paper rolls with leftover pork slices <laughs> and fresh vegetables in them and some fortified soy drink. What's a fortified soy drink anyway? Is that like mashed tofu? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I'm willing to bet that there is about 80% of the kids out there that wouldn't eat that stuff anyway, even if it were prepared for them. They would, It's not the kind of things that yeah, the kids to like the to eat. Yeah, back the chocolate bar yeah. trade. I yeah. mean, yeah, I think there should be obviously a focus on health and trying to make the lunch as healthy as possible. And there's much simpler options than what's being presented in that guide. But there should also more so be a focus on getting kids fed, period. There's the Spanish flavored rice with colorful peppers and corn. Add shrimp or leftover fish pieces and serve with hot chocolate. And serve with hot chocolate made with milk. I am getting hungry. This this does sound like it's a restaurant. This is gourmet. Menu. Yeah, yeah. This is gourmet. I don't know who is <laughs> doing this. Now, again, we, when we talked about the Durham situation, the other thing they had, which I don't see. To Hamilton's credit, to Hamilton's endless credit, at least I don't see it. I hope it's not the case. In that other one, if you showed up with any garbage or any non-recyclables, you were the devil incarnate. Do not bring a napkin that's going to be thrown in the garbage. Do not bring a plastic, clear plastic bag that's going to be thrown in the garbage. Everything you bring must be able to be taken home. We don't want to have any garbage here. And it gets to the point where you're saying, this is exceptionally over the top. It really is. If a kid has a can of pop once in a while, they're a kid. Yeah. If a kid has a chocolate bar every once in a while or a thing of Pop-Tarts or whatever, fruit roll-up. A granola bar. They're a kid. (laughs) They're supposed to have junk every once in a while. Isn't that what being a kid is supposed to at least? Do we want to have our kids just eating rice paper pork rolls? (laughs) I mean, it's a nice thing to have now and again. I don't know. I, I look at this and I just, it, it again, to me, it's, it, it's so elite sounding, especially when we've just finished in the last segment talking about the poverty and the struggles that some people are going to have. And now you're... It's Molly Ringwald in the Breakfast Club. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, 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 it is. But you almost now have to say, we are going to separate you, which is the complete opposite of what we want. We are going to separate you by socioeconomically into your school. So we can send this note home to those of you who live in Dundas or Ancaster or maybe parts of Stony Creek or certain well-to-do areas. But if you, know, if you live in the inner city or some other places that have more socioeconomic challenges, we'll send you home with a different one so you're not going to feel like crap when you receive this. I just can't believe how elaborate it is. Like, why not just, you know, cut up... Fresh pepper or carrots or carrot sticks. Send your kid with fresh vegetables cut up. Or is it tortellini with like a mushroom, you know, reduced sauce over (laughs) here? (laughs) 
<laughs> I didn't see. I didn't see any reduction. Yeah. If, I, if the word reduction was in there, forget it. We're, <laughs> it's over. It's over. I'm, I'm throwing it out. But the um, yes, there's the uh, the other one which I was interested. In, the pancakes in a thermos. Oh. <laughs> so yes, you roll them and throw them in. Cold <laughs> lean ham slice. Roll it up and stick with a toothpick to keep it together. Slice strawberries, white milk, and syrup in a reusable container on the side. Oh yes, there's there's many. Many of these. Waffle sandwiches made with two whole grain waffles, turkey slices, grated carrot, and lettuce. Yogurt mixed with canned apricots. That one is actually, they don't like that one much because it's canned. Yes. The apricots have too not. Too much sugar. The, well, the apricots, you haven't actually flown to Peru to hand pick them <laughs> and then organic. fly them home organically. Yeah, <laughs> yes. free range apricots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if your kid comes home with a note like this, honestly... I understand, I guess, the thought behind it, but I would just crumple it up and say, you know what? We're going to feed you the way we can feed you. And I don't think there's a parent out there that wants to not feed their kid nutritiously. True. And I don't think there's a parent that sits at home and goes, you know, we could feed Johnny better, but I think instead we're going (laughs) to load him up with as much crap as possible. That doesn't, I don't think that person exists. It's very seldom if it does. No. Do we need people to feel bad about what they're doing with their kids when there already is enough pressure on them to do the right thing anyway? And that's what I, that's what I look at this as. It's kind of just a salt in the wound to a lot of busy parents who go, I can't do that. Well, I, I agree. Most parents are going to deep six that uh, memo as soon as they get it. But, uh, I mean, they might have a couple of laughs or, or maybe a little bit of anger when they first read it. But how much of an effect, how much of a real effect it will have on what kids bring to school. I mean, it seems to me to be a monumental waste of time. I would, I would actually, if this had come home, I would have taken my kid out of school that first day, gone to the office and said, I'm sorry, we're going to Shakespeare's for lunch. We, <laughs> it's, there's an obligation that we eat well. <laughs> Quick break here on the Scott Radley Show. Back after this. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Here is one of the stranger things, stranger stories that I've seen in a while. And it's a little scary, in fact. We all know that it was last, was it last weekend that Hurricane Matthew was supposed to strike Florida? It was supposed to land and it was the first big landfall hurricane. It was going to be in 10 years. But we have had now so many warnings, false alarms, as they turn out to be false alarms. We've had meteorologists and weather people who say, this is going to be the worst storm ever. You know, around here, last winter, I think there were two or three times we were supposed to get the winter storm of the century, and we got nothing, or a little bit of snow. And there were so many people, Scott, now in Florida this last time who basically said, I'm not going anywhere. It's not going to hit us. I'm gonna, even if it does, we're going to be fine. And we've seen 12 years ago, what was it, roughly, with Katrina, Katrina what what can happen. Have we, and not we in this room, but as, as the media, as weather people, meteorologists, all this stuff, have we cried wolf so many times that we are headed for a major loss of life, a major disaster, because people just don't buy it anymore, because they've been told bad things are coming so many times and they just don't seem to come? Well... Prediction of weather is a notoriously difficult game, Absolutely. that's for sure. But, uh, you know, you start to wonder, um, is it we're, we're really that bad at predicting or we really just don't know how all of this stuff works, you know? Uh, 
okay, we have a track of a hurricane, but we really don't know where it's going to go. We, we have an idea where we think it might go, but it, it's just really beyond uh, the capability right now to, to necessarily track it accurately or predict it accurately. Uh, you know how hard it is here in southern Ontario with, you know, surrounded by great lakes and uh, you know, open to the west winds and that sort of stuff. I mean, from day to day. Um, so you have to, you know. Sarah, you have to put out this warning because there's this Category 4 hurricane that looks like it's bearing down on the Florida area. So you say, look out, get out of there. It's going to be dangerous. And then it peels off or it doesn't because, as Scott says, it's hard to track. And now the people who have left... It's a giant pain in the butt because you've packed everything up and you've boarded up your house and you've taken your pets and you've driven hundreds of miles to get away and then nothing happens. And you do this two or three times and the fourth time you go, just forget it. I'm not even doing it. And then... It happens. I can see the aggravation, but, you know, outside of being in the media, just as a regular person hearing a, a, you know, a newscast or, you know, a weather forecast, I would always like to be, you know, erring on the side of, you know safe, not sorry. So, I mean, when I hear this, I'm going to act on it. I'm going to leave. And as aggravating as it is, it's better than being caught up in something that could be devastating, that could wipe everyone out, everybody's house. And on the other side, you know, the media side talking about how, you know, the media talks about it and, and forecasters talk about it. Certainly there are certain meteorological, you know, terms that sometimes take a bit of a sensational flair. We love the polar vortex yeah. and things of oh, that yeah, nature, the polar you know. Vortex was awesome. That just, that just really <laughs> grips people. And then people get, you know, worried that this crazy amount of snow is about to fall down and oh 10 centimeters get more shovel do we put too much faith in technology too though i mean do we think oh yeah we're so advanced now we can track this stuff no problem and that combined combined with the hyperbole like you say these you know uh, breathless weather reports about what's coming um and i know at chch we were terribly guilty of that we used to have regular discussions in the newsroom saying are we going too far or not but there's no doubt that weather for people is one of the number one reasons they turn into any broadcast outlet is to find out, is it going to rain today? But I mean, right now, right now, and I, if you're listening, I'm not actually announcing there is a tornado coming, just so we're, this is not war yeah. of the worlds, all right? But if I was to say right now on the air that a tornado is bearing, tornadoes are going to be popping up in Hamilton and we are at risk of tornadoes. Again, I'm not saying we are. Don't You, you missed the beginning of the conversation. <laughs> but if I said that, I would be willing to bet you that more people in this city, rather than go to their basement, would go out on their front porch and look for the tornadoes. It wouldn't be that because it's happened so often, not tornadoes, but that we've warned people that people have been told this stuff and it never happens. It's like, oh, cool. Let's go see if we can see any tornadoes. And I I think that we have made it, and we saw it in Florida, I think we've made it now so that it's going to take a huge catastrophe until people start to buy it again. And we don't want that. But it's... I'm not even sure a huge catastrophe will turn uh, turn it around. Uh, I mean, Katrina was a huge catastrophe, and nobody really expected that, even though there were warnings about how massive this hurricane was. Everybody was, yeah, yeah, we've heard that before, right? Yeah, so, we saw the pictures yeah. afterwards that the governor had left all the school bus. The school buses were all flooded out because they were sitting in a parking lot because the governor hadn't sent them to get anyone. Right. And and so it's like if the if even the people who are in power aren't really concerned, why should you be? But especially if you're in a place that's prone to that kind of phenomenon, like, take it seriously. You should be moving. I know you become maybe accustomed to it. Oh, this is just a drill. This isn't this 
probably isn't going to be the real thing. There's not this hurricane's not going to make landfall and be as bad as everyone says it's going to be. But if you are in that area, I mean, look at Haiti. Yep. Haiti has been devastated time and time and time again. Yeah, it's right. In I would the path. find it. Yeah, I would find it hard to believe that they're not. <laughs> Well, I'm sure, that, yeah, but they don't get, the, the irony is, of course, the people who don't get these kind of weather reports are the ones that get slammed all the time. But let's bring it back here for a sec, because this winter, it's supposed to be, according to all the almanacs, if you believe the almanacs, here we go. If you don't, then never mind. It's supposed to be a really lousy winter this year. So we're probably going to get really cold weather, according to them, and a lot of snow, according to them. So if now you turn on the radio, and I'm not dumping on Jay McQueen, who's on here all the time. Jay does a great job. But if Jay comes on and says, we're expecting 40 centimeters of snow tonight, do most people now, do you think, believe that? Or do most people say, I'll believe that when I see that? Yeah, I think that's the reaction. I think that's true, too. I remember this Rick Mercer skit where he comes out and the same scenario, they say it's going to be something like 40 centimeters and it ends up being like 10. And it's this just big dramatic skit about how he's going to get his kid to school and wiping off the windshield with his glove. And that's kind of where we're at now. Do you think people get mad about it now? See, I think people actually get ticked off about it now because you make plans, you cancel things, you cancel programs, you do whatever, and then it doesn't happen. Now you're almost mad at the weather person. I think the thing that makes them the most angry is the fact that the school board goes, oh, we're canceled school today because of this massive storm that didn't happen. I think that's what really... That does. Definitely. That does tick people off, absolutely. And and I don't blame... Listen, as much as it's annoying... I don't blame the school board because one time they don't do it and a bus crashes and a bunch of kids are injured or killed. Yeah, it's a no-win situation. You say, sure. why didn't you do it this time? Yeah. So they, they, they have to do it. I don't blame the school board for those kind of decisions. But you're right. It gets to be, now there's no snow and I got to cancel a day of work because the weather people got it wrong. And, you know, again, to me, it seems like it's more aggravating now. And it's, and it's, it's unfortunate because I think we've, it's just been a case now where you've cried wolf enough times that... Well, I think it goes back to our ability to actually predict what's going to happen. Mm. And, and I don't think we're nearly as good at it. As we at, like to think. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know who loves bad weather? There's only one people, one group I think that likes bad weather. It's the people on CNN that get to go stand <laughs> on the break walls in the hurricanes and get blown away and hold on to the light pole while they're blowing away and yeah. try to... I've, I've always been amazed by the technology they have, that those microphones and earpieces can withstand 400-mile-an-hour winds and rain. That kind of battering, yeah. Uh, you know what? Someone, someone's making some money on that to be able to build that technology. <laughs> Quick break. Back after this on The Scott Radley Show. Stay with us. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. All right, let me get to the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio. Scott Urquhart, a veteran, irkedfreelance.com is his website if you need some writing or some other kind of work done. Scott, thanks for sticking around. And Sarah Kane, reporter with CHML here all day long, works all day, then comes back <laughs> in to do, to do this. Appreciate you doing this. People may at home may have heard this story this week. Um which I kind of laughed at when I first heard it until I realized how angry I actually was about this story. In Connecticut, there was a high school football coach who found out that one of his players on his football team was bullying another player on his football team. They're supposed to be teammates, but they were not exactly getting along. They were One of them was being very mean to the other. And this coach caught on. And so rather than doing what a lot of people do, I think, which is turning a blind eye and pretending it doesn't exist, he said, fine, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to resolve this. He didn't beat the kid who was the bully. He didn't, well, what he did with this kid 
was he basically chastised him in front of the team and said, this is not acceptable, and then made him run some laps and do some push-ups. I mean, it was not to the point where the kid was collapsing from exhaustion. He just said, listen, you're not going to do this again. And apparently, apparently, it resolved the problem. Give the kid a little physical fitness to do, tell him that it's not going to happen again, boom, done. Coach now fired from the school board because they say that he bullied the bully and it was inappropriate conduct. Sarah, what am I missing? Yeah, what am I missing? I think it's a positive solution to to the issue. I mean, this kid wants to be a part of a team. It's a team setting. If you can't play nice with other people that are on your own team, he very well could have dismissed the kid and said, you know what, you can't, you know, you can't operate with everyone else here and conduct yourself accordingly, then guess what, you're not on this team. The quote from the coach, by the way, I was teaching those kids how to be men and how I was taught how to be a man, he said. They just made a bad decision. They're all good people. They thought they were making the right decision for the children in their organization. That's, he's talking about the board, but he is, he's talking about two things there. He's talking about the kids that he was trying to teach and he's talking about the people that fired him. He's, you know, obviously being a gentleman more than anything else, but Scott, what's, what is wrong with what he did? Uh, Well, personally, I'd say nothing, but to me, it raises the question of the whole question of authority. Where does authority begin and where does it end now? With mom and dad. Well, we yeah, okay. or the complaining mom and dad. We we used to have you know some some sense that authority had the right to um, ex- exert itself upon you if you went astray, but now it's gotten around to where is wh- who has the authority? Now we're we're you know we regularly accuse the police of bullying us, and in many many cases they do. Uh, you know, we're all bullies in some way or another. If you're in a position of authority, it's almost impossible not to be a bully to someone somewhere. Well, sometime. that's because the definition, perhaps, of what is bullying is different from what bullying used to be, I think. I mean, bull- it used to be we had a pretty good idea what bullying was. And now, as you say, if you exert your authority, well, people are saying, well, you're no better than me. Yeah, but okay, I'm, I'm your boss. I'm your teacher. I, I mean, I'm not better than you, but I've been put in a position that makes me have more power than you, and we don't seem to like that concept anymore. At all. No. At all. And I can tell you, and I don't know about you, I don't know about you, Sarah, back when I was in, in elementary school or in high school, I mean, it's a few years ago now, but it's not, you know, four generations. It wasn't the Stone Age. If I had come home and my parents said, how was your day? And I said, I got sent to the principal's office. My parents didn't march down to the school and ream out the teacher for treating me poorly. I was the one who was in trouble because clearly if the teacher had felt I did something enough to get sent to the principal's office, I was wrong. I don't know if that was the case with you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like you were responsible for your own actions. And uh, if you, you know, misbehaved yourself you could expect some consequences for that, that kind At of home. behavior. Sarah, what yeah. about you? When oh, you- yeah, certainly in my house as well. And I have a brother who <laughs> was, you know, not shy to get into a little trouble, on, you know, on the playground. So that, you know, you take the teacher's word for it. and That's right. Yeah. Punishment, you know, as you see fit. If the, you know, the teacher says you're not participating now in your outside of school extracurriculars and that's what's happening or, you know, whatever that may be also at home as that plays out. But you, you right. You said it exactly. You took the teacher's word for it. If you were a parent, you believed the teacher over your kid, which may, today it sounds, you know, today mom and dad will march down to the school and say, how could you do this to my kid? You're bullying him. 
I don't know if I'd march. Not everybody. Yeah. Not I, everybody. I don't know if I'd do that, but um, as a guy who has always had a penchant for uh, questioning authority, shall we say, um, I mean, that's what journalists do, right? That, that's kind of our being. We, we question authority constantly. And so, yeah, my first, you know, sort of reaction would be, okay, let's let's find out from all sides here what took place. What what are we told that really happened out there? And from there, I would make some decisions about who I'm going to talk to about uh, this kind of behavior. Is it going to be my kid because he richly deserves it? Or is it going to be, you know what, that's maybe not entirely fair. Maybe I should have a discussion with somebody in authority. But in this particular case... That I all the stories that I've read, there is not one version of the story that says that this is not what happened. That that what we're reading is what's true. There was a bullying situation that happened. The coach made the kid; he chastised the kid, and then he made him run some laps. There was no hitting with a paddle. There was no beating. There was no humiliating. And yet the teachers fired, and they're saying it's because he behaved inappropriately in disciplining this kid. He shouldn't have done this. And my question is. So who should have done it? Or is it discipline by committee? Should he have gone to uh, the principal, the board, said, okay, I've got the situation. What should I do? Are the the rules clear? Is there any kind of protocol at all? I mean, it's so hard these days to understand where the boundaries are because they're constantly in flux. And in a sports setting, I feel like that's, you know, a regular occurrence in terms of, I don't want to say punishment, but, you know, if you show up late to practice, guess what? You're running a few laps. That's what happens. But are you allowed to do that now? Yeah, that, I and, guess and that's that, the question. And, and, and leave the, the sports, because the sports is, this is a sports analogy, or it happened in a sports environment. But let's say this wasn't in a sports setting. Let's say you had a classroom now, and you had, and Scott, this would never happen, but Scott Urquhart <laughs> is bullying Sarah Kane. And as the teacher, I find out about this, and I verify it, and I know, yeah, I, that actually happened. And I make you stand up and I say, Scott, why are you doing that? And I make you write a hundred lines or something to say, I will not bully anymore. And it solves the problem. Have I overstepped my bounds or have I resolved the problem and taught you something that's valuable for you for your life? Have you publicly humiliated me, Scott? Well, that's, me over, you know? and that's, 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 that's probably what, what they the would say. The boundaries are constantly changing. And what, what may have been fair is if you hauled me aside and said, okay, I expect you to write out a hundred times, uh, you know, um, I, I shall not bully Sarah or whatever. It's Does anybody going to be. write lines anymore? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I used to write lines by the million. I don't, but. <laughs> but you know, point taken. Um, that could be just as wrong an action or perceived to be as wrong an action these days as anything else. Yeah, it's it, interesting you say the shaming yeah. thing because you do see examples of that even with you know parents and their kids forcing them to go out in t-shirts that say I'm a bully. Yeah. I, you see this come up all the time now, publicly shaming their kid in a way to try and get the message across. Did we not, well, maybe not we, I was, but did it not, were kids not quote, quote, shamed in the past though? If you had to, if you had to be corrected, did we not do things that would have your kid potentially be a little bit embarrassed by having to go clean up someone's yard or do yeah, whatever it absolutely. is? absolutely. And did, I, I think there's, I think there's a value to shame to some extent because shame is the result of doing something that is not socially acceptable that is not best behavior, that is not becoming the person that you hope your son or daughter or, or even yourself can become. You, you've transgressed in some way, and you should be ashamed of doing that. And how does this, do you think in any way this 
can be translated or stretched to the problems we have in some cases with police now because while the police have been under under fire for some of their behavior we also see people who have no respect now for the police for the same reason you're no you're no better than me you're not the boss of me so i don't have to respond it's a an authority position but we've sort of discarded the idea of authority or at least some people have and so why do i have to listen to you i mean i i see this whole thing as a big very similar thing that if you don't have to listen to your coach and you don't have to listen to your teacher and you don't have to listen to police, it's all to me in the same box. Hmm. Someone who has a position of authority over you, I can choose now whether or not I decide that I want to give them that authority. And if I don't, too bad, you can't do anything. I think the abuse and misuse of authority undermines the legitimacy of that authority. Say that again? The use and abuse of authority, the misuse and abuse of authority undermines the legitimacy of that authority. So if police are guilty of acting in a way that's abusive, it undermines their authority to tell us what to do. But does does a case or two or three of police abuse give you the allow you to not listen to any police officer then? If a teacher if one teacher in a school has embarrassed the kid does that mean no one has to listen to any teacher in that school anymore? No, no, I'm not saying that. I, I'm saying that there are enough examples uh, of, of those sorts of things happening that an impression has been formed generally that the people that we once trusted to to conduct themselves with some restraint in their use of power and their use of authority, the people we used to trust to do that are not doing that anymore. And it's undermining the authority of all of them. Yeah, and certainly out in the world, we have rule of law. No one should be above the law. And as schoolyard, it goes back to maybe what Scott was saying about are there clear-cut guidelines about what to do in this situation? Do you take it upon yourself as a coach or do you refer it to a parent? What's the next step? See, if I, was a, if I had a kid on this team, I would applaud what this coach did. And honestly, I would applaud this coach even if it was my kid who was the one who was the bully who was being corrected. Yeah, I agree. Because to me, you know what? You know where he's going to be the most able to change and most able to deal with is in the sports context. Mm-hmm. He's within his team. And so, yeah, it might be a little embarrassing, but you know what? He'll learn something because he's here as opposed to waiting and going to the principal's office and having mom and dad come in. He just, he had a lesson taught to him and he learned his lesson and there was no problem until there was a problem. And I just, I think, how is this coach not getting a medal rather than getting fired? Honestly, it seems like this is a guy who did what we would want an adult in a position of authority to do, and yet he gets burned for it. The lines are blurred. I mean, where, where, who has the authority and the, the legitimate uh, power to use it? I mean, yeah, it's, it's not as clear cut as it was when, when you and I were kids and went to school. It's become very muddled and, and very gray. And I don't know, part of me says that's because of this whole politically correct discussion that we started uh, two or three decades ago now about what's correct and what's not correct. Well, if it's right for you. <laughs> yeah, it seems that way, right? If it's right for you, hey, look, at you know what? I, w- I don't think I was bullying him. He was just being a wimp. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. It, it just, it, it's, it's, again... This guy, to me, seems like the coach you would want your kid to have. 
that he's not going to take the crap from other kids, that he's going to solve a problem when it comes up. I've, ta- I've coached, and I'll tell you one thing, you have to take now coaching programs, especially for hockey, you have to take coaching programs. And one of the things you're supposed to do is deal with and properly resolve a problem if it comes up within your team. And if you have all the tools at your disposal taken away from you that you could use to resolve a problem, and then they say, but still solve the problem. Are the tools appropriate, though, Scott? No, well, that, that's what they would argue. Yeah. But I'm saying if you've got a certain number of things, let me give you one more example before we go. If you're coaching house league hockey, for example, not rep hockey where there's an expectation of a little more competitiveness, most house league hockey programs now will say coaches must play every kid equally regardless. And generally... That makes all kinds of sense. You're paying the same amount of money. You're not signed up for competitive hockey. So yeah, everyone, it's your turn to go out. You go out and you try to keep the shifts roughly the same length and it's all good. But what happens if you've got a kid on your team who is misbehaving? What happens if you, if you have a kid on your team who is bullying someone or won't pass the puck or whatever else? What do you do? Well, the only thing in hockey as a coach that you have short of professional where there's money involved is ice time. The kids want to play. It's the only hammer you have in your arsenal, in your toolbox to use. You don't want to be do the right thing. You're going to sit down for a shift or two. But most leagues will say you can't do that. Well, then what do you do if you're the coach? Nothing. You can't do anything. This coach, to me, did the right thing. He took a problem as best he could without causing great damage to one of the, or other children. He fixed it, and he gets smacked for it entirely wrong. Entirely wrong. Anyway, quick break. Back after this on The Scott Radley Show. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Uh, We've heard this story before, but Health Canada has now re-raised it again. The idea of requiring cigarette packages to be in plain, unmarked, un-whatever, just basically a white or a brown or whatever, nothing marked on it, plain packaging. Is this a good idea or is this a terrible idea? Hmm. I think it's pretty impactful having the, uh, well, maybe I don't know, but the the packages that have the graphic images that they have on them, I I would be curious to see how that campaign went because... Because they're gross. They're pretty gross. Yeah. Yeah. Have they had an effect over the years or not? Well, certainly smoking rates are way down from where they were in the 50s, 60s, 70s, you probably can't from just the say 80s. It's the packaging only who knows? did that, right? Who knows? There's been, I mean, it's been an ongoing campaign on many fronts to try and get people to stop smoking. Here's the problem I have with it. And I'm not a smoker. I've never been a smoker. I don't have any, I don't have a vested interest in helping the, the tobacco companies. I got no stocks or bonds in tobacco companies. I have no investments. So I am, I'm coming at this completely as a, an outside observer. As long as cigarettes are legal in this country, why do they not have the rights that other companies would have in this country? What I mean, if you could argue that fast food is bad for you, we've never required the fast food companies to say, you can't advertise, you can't put up any kind of colorful pictures on your walls. You can't do anything. The, the pop companies or alcohol companies, or we're going to soon have marijuana companies. You, if, you're, if it's legal... Why should you not have the rights everyone else has? What's the thinking behind the plain packaging uh, initiative? I mean, why? 
Well, uh, presumably it will make it less enticing for kids to pick up cigarettes in the first place because, you know, well, no, I guess the idea is there's a belief, I guess, that it's kind of cool to open your pack of whatever and it's, you know, it's identifiable as, uh, hey, I'm a so-and-so brand person or whatever. I mean, I don't know, but... They like to vape now, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, if, and if girls' pictures didn't put them off taking, uh, you know, picking up the pack, I don't know that a plain brown wrapper is going to scare them off either. Yeah, if they're seeking it out, they'll find it one way or another, I suppose. I don't know if uh, the uh, the packaging is going to have an impact. Well, according to the Globe and Mail, here's a line. It says, such repulsive packaging... I don't know if plain packaging is repulsive, but anyway, such repulsive <laughs> packaging is intended to send the signal loud and clear that smoking is bad. People will... Therefore, quit en masse and smoking rates will go down. Sounds like a good theory. (laughs) Is a white box, is a plain white box with nothing on it, I guess. It's like the Beatles' white album now. Did people stop (laughs) listening to music because the Beatles put an album in a plain white cover? I mean, that's a ridiculous statement. No, I find the other ones way more repulsive. If, you know, if I was ever considering, you know, having a cigarette and I looked at one of those I'd be like no way yeah, I don't want the I'm mouth cancer uh, no thanks hey, I don't think generic packaging had a big impact on the sale of food did it I mean a, a yellow uh, no they turned yellow, it into a sales feature yeah, yeah. exactly I'm, I don't know if it's going to have the intended impact just by implementing it. I just you know what if you're the Canadian government and you want to cut down on smoking have enough cojones to just say, fine, we are going to make cigarettes illegal and we'll take it to the Supreme Court and we'll see what happens with our challenge and we'll see if we can actually make this happen. But as I go back to it, as long as cigarette smoking is legal in this country, I fail to see why the companies that produce the cigarettes shouldn't have the same rights, even though, again, I un- listen, I understand about the cancer. I understand about all the stuff. I'm not a smoker. But there's a lot of things that are bad for us that we don't say, well, they can't advertise. It makes me think of the the latest story with the Liquorman's Trailer Park Boys whiskey right, yeah. that came out yeah, and yeah. when kind of being caught off guard and found out that I guess the website is a little unsavory for yeah, her risky. taste yeah. and risky and perhaps it shouldn't be uh, welcome here in the province, even though it's already in several others. So, well, you know, the way things are advertised and, and the way that impacts a product being sold, it's interesting that even that somehow became an issue. I don't know if you guys are old enough. I mean, Scott and I probably are. I don't know, Sarah, if you are. But years ago, who was the female mayor of Toronto who got caught up because she didn't understand that the bare naked ladies were a band of uh, like five guys <laughs> and thought it was bare naked ladies and banned them from Nathan Phillips Square before she realized, <laughs> oh, no, Wait, no, I remember the this incident. Is an, I don't remember the This name. is an ironic name because yeah. they're funny and they're quirky, and, and but then yeah. she was dug in so deeply that she couldn't actually get out of it, and so she had to stand her ground. And again, I look at this and I think, okay, if I am the cigarette companies, I go, well, wait a second. More people die in, or at least as many, die in car crashes every year or of diabetes or of being overweight or heart disease or on and on and on. Why are we being picked on. And again, I understand that there a lot of people would say, well, there's no positive effect of smoking. Whereas, you know, you have to eat, you have to drive. Okay, I get all that stuff. But if it's legal, it's legal. If you don't want it to be legal, make it illegal and challenge it in the Supreme Court and see what happens and maybe you win and maybe smoking is banned in this country. Well, I think one of the reasons that's never been pursued is the fear that... Uh Absolute prohibition leads to nothing but crime. You know, yeah. uh, but the, that's what people are arguing about the plain packages. 
that you have all these criminal elements that will now be able to make oh, their cigarettes they were. and sell them. Exactly, and, and you won't be able to tell now. But they could do that now anyway if they really wanted to. They could counterfeit the packages. Okay. It, yeah. It's harder than a white box. Yeah, pack. Oh, it's easier. Um, no, I no, in a white box, if you just have a plain white box, anybody can do it. Yeah, at least you have to put some effort into counterfeiting. <laughs> into you counterfeiting, yes. <laughs> yeah, point taken. Um, but, uh, you know, I, it's if it is legal, you should be allowed to do it. I'm sorry, that's just, it, it may not be popular. You may not like it when someone is smoking next to you, but as long as it's legal, you should be allowed to do it. Well, and and it goes to the question of um, what we're doing with our national drug policy right now. And we're encouraging more and more centers um, to allow the legal injection of drugs uh, for those who are, uh, you know, addicted. Uh, more and more centers uh, to, to handle fentanyl patches and that sort of thing. And Although that's created a great criminal enterprise of you know people stealing fentanyl and selling it, we don't seem to be that concerned about it. We're we're heading more and more into opening that territory rather than closing it off. So you have that message on the one hand, and then on the other hand, you have this other message. But we're going to shut this down because it's bad for you. Shouldn't we have? Maybe we should have smoking parlors. Maybe we could go in and yeah, we have like what do you call it? hookah? Is it the, the hookah <laughs> parlor? Yeah, hookah bars. Yeah, bars. Yeah. Now you have yeah. t- tobacco dens. Yeah, that sounds like tobacco. something. Yeah, from from the yeah. turn of the century. I yeah, don't know. exactly. Yeah. But okay, so let's go on that idea for a second because we're at this now. And again, we're getting into a topic that I know people have strong opinions on. And they'll say. You know, marijuana is not the same as tobacco. One cause, mm. they say tobacco, cigarettes cause cancer, marijuana doesn't. Fine. I don't know the medical side enough on that. I'm not a scientist. But I have been reading that for boy men especially whose brains have not fully developed, and usually it's about 25 years old, that marijuana can be exceedingly damaging. Afterwards, there's some question about whether or not it does or doesn't. But up until that point, but now we're saying we want to bring this in to our country. So what, what are we, what are we doing? My big thing with why they don't want to do it, why they would never, why the government would never want to try and ban cigarettes outright is because there's way too many tax dollars in this thing coming in per package. That's a big amount of money that would be gone if you banned it altogether. Well, if marijuana replaces that, then, you know. Maybe. And it, and if you're saying that a man's uh, brain doesn't develop until he's 25, I think my wife or would disagree my, with yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> you and I both, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're still waiting for it to yeah, develop. Still, I get that. We're still waiting, yeah. And that's not because of marijuana. <laughs> um, no, uh, again, it's if you're going to be unclear, if you're going to allow alcohol to be packaged in bottles of whatever kind, Sarah, you just talked about the, the trailer park boy stuff. When you go to a liquor store, I don't know about you. I don't know if either of you are wine connoisseurs, but I go into a liquor store and I have to buy a bottle of wine for someone or we're having people over or something like that. I'm not a wine connoisseur. So how do I choose what bottle of wine I'm going to buy? It's either something that I've had before or, hey, that's a cool looking label. That looks interesting. That looks interesting. The label says nothing about what it's going to taste like, but hey, if you come up with a cool name and it's got a cool label, but so we're allowing that with alcohol. And we're allowing cars that drive way over the speed limit that could, we're saying speed kills, and yet we allow cars to drive 200 miles an hour, 200 kilometers an hour. That's fine. 
and all these other things, but cigarettes, for whatever reason, we have decided is the one thing. We are going to crush cigarettes, but not ban them because that's a lot of tax dollars we'd lose. I, I just, it seems to me it's, it's completely misguided. It's, it's just, it's... Inconsistent policy. Thank that's you. For yes, sure. yes. Yeah. Inconsistent. Absolutely inconsistent. And, and then to top the whole thing off, as you mo- mentioned a moment ago, would this work? Do you think that a 16-year-old boy or girl who has become interested in smoking, they're at school and they've got some friends who smoke and they've decided they're going to do it, do you think that a plain box is going to make them not smoke? Doubt it very much. Yeah, doubt it as well. It doesn't seem to me that that's the big deterrent. If it, that's, it won't be a deterrent, in my opinion, at least. I, I can't see, as I said before, if they're seeking it out, they want to have a cigarette for the first time, maybe. <laughs> they're in high school, they're going to find a cigarette. I mean, it doesn't matter what package it's coming in. It's um, Australia, until May, 2000, again, from the Globe Mail, until May 2016, Australia was the only country in the world to have adopted plain packaging. Um, and uh, it says now that they've done a study since, and smoking prevalence has decreased, they say, but there's no way to know if it has anything to do with the plain packaging because it's come in conjunction with a new heavy-duty anti-smoking campaign that's gone along with it. So you really can't untangle whether or not it's the packaging or the campaign or the peer pressure or... And social norms. I don't think it's as nearly as attractive of as perhaps it once was. I, I think there are, you know, many people who will speak to feeling ashamed of having to go out to have a smoke now or before. It was very socially acceptable, and that really isn't the case. So, I mean, that could really factor into some of those stats as well, rather than the packaging. We don't even let people now go to public parks outdoors and smoke, which to me is, again, be consistent. I love your word, inconsistent. Be consistent. If we're saying you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, all with smoking, what you're saying is we want to make smoking illegal. So then take the step and try and make smoking illegal. Don't just try and pick on the smokers. And again, I'm not a smoker. I, I, I'm not in love with the idea when someone is puffing next to me. I don't enjoy that. But if it's not illegal, you the, can't... Go ahead. They're trying to push uh, an unnatural project uh, towards a natural death of some sort. You know, they <laughs> they put the squeeze on until it finally expires. That, but that again, let me... We've got to go to break. But why cigarettes? And, and not why cigarettes. We know that they have... <laughs> they cause problems, but why cigarettes over all other products that cause harm as well? That's the part that I... Mystifying. and And I can tell you the answer, at least I fully believe the answer, because all the things that kill us bring huge amounts of tax dollars into the government. Alcohol brings huge amounts of tax dollars, fast food, gasoline for our cars, all these things. It's all massive amounts of money. So we don't really want to stop it. We want to look like we don't like it. Yeah, the illusion of looking like healthcare is a priority in that sense. Yeah. Quick break. Back after this on the Scott Radley Show. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Sarah, I'm going to let you introduce this because there was a mm-hmm. photo that I saw yesterday that you can speak to that happened here at the CHML building. Tell- oh, definitely. If you just walked over to the windows, clear as day because there were no other cars in sight except for one that was straddling the line of two parking spots. Right parked in the middle, so it was right covering two spots. And 
I saw the picture of this that was posted on the CHML Facebook, some one of their Facebook pages, and it wasn't that this driver could possibly have just missed a spot and hung over a little. Zero effort. This was this was an attempt to be taking two spots. Yeah. It had to be. It, it ha- had to be deliberate, yeah. It had to be deliberate or it was the world's worst driver, honestly. One I'd, way or I'd the other. I'd be so worried for all of us. Well, you, one time <laughs> one time several years ago, I had to pull into the Dundurn Plaza parking lot and I stopped and I was facing a disabled handicapped spot and I was having a hamburger or something. I was waiting to go to an assignment and a car pulled in. And all of a sudden, the person who pulls in opens the door and unfolds a white, visually impaired cane and walks away. And I went, wait a second. Either they're <laughs> cheating the system or they shouldn't be driving one way or the other. But this person parks right straddling two spots. And it got me thinking, that is, to me, one of the things that makes me unpro- improperly, it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but makes me enraged when people do that kind of thing. Or when people, I don't know, what what else really, really, when they do it, and it may be a little thing, it may, in the as I say, in the grand scheme of the world, no big deal. But for whatever reason, it just makes you crazy when they do it. What's something that drives you nuts? Well, the parking issue is funny because Jen Watson here at CHML, that is also one of her biggest pet peeves ever. <laughs> so that was kind of the ongoing joke, and she had to come over the, to the window, and it was a whole thing. <laughs> Pictures were taken. But for me, after spending a lot of time in downtown Toronto, I went to U of T and students who just walk so slow, just have all the time in the world and you're just like racing to get a paper in or whatever it is you're trying to do and just, oh. The lollygaggers. The lollygaggers. That's exactly it. (laughs) If you don't, if you have, you know, if you're not going anywhere, what are you doing on the sidewalk? Or at least get off to one side. Or at least move to the side, which is another thing with the escalators, like people who think it's just a ride. Like, move over. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Let's get up. Let's get going. Yeah, it's um. I, I'll tell you. You know where else slow walkers really drive me nuts? And th- I, as I was kind of going into this segment, I was jotting a few notes down. I realized I think I must have a temper problem with speed. <laughs> slow people must make me crazy because most of the things. But if I'm in my car and someone is on a crosswalk and they are taking the longest possible time with absolutely no care or concern that people are waiting in their cars. It makes me crazy. I see this every day. They're looking at their phones, just, just completely unaware yeah. of all the other surroundings. But I don't even mind the phones as much, although I do. It's the people who, they see that there are people waiting oh, yeah. across, but they just decide. And I'm not, again, I'm not talking about the 97-year-old no, man or woman not. with the walker who it takes eight minutes to cross the street. It's the people who do it intentionally because yes. they can. <laughs> because they can. I'm going to exert my power and make everyone wait for me. That's that's another one. Scott, what's something well, that drives you nuts? Well, I, I've been sitting here trying to think, and I I said uh, to Sarah and you a minute ago, I should call my kids. They give me a list of things. <laughs> but I'm generally, I'm, I'm not terribly bothered by a lot of small things. But as you say, the people ambling across the road, especially when it's not at a crosswalk, it's not at a corner, they step out in the middle of Mohawk Road or Upper James or whatever, and they walk across as if they parted the Red Sea, mm-hmm. and they've got all day to do it. And I, I don't even think it's so much that they're holding me up. I, I think my thought is, where is Darwin when you need him? You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. It's, I'll tell you another one on the road. We now have bike lanes in many places in this city. If you are a cyclist and you are on a street with a bike lane, 
get in the bloody bike lane, Mm -hmm. right? If you've got a bike lane, that's there for you. If you're a cyclist not using a bike lane and taking up another lane of the road when a bike lane exists, I can't help but think of that old 1980s video game Frogger. It's, yeah. it's like you're taking your life in your hands because that's there for a purpose and you're, someone is going to not see you or n- not be paying attention and figure, oh, the lane's there. There's nobody on the road and run over you. Mm-hmm. Get in your lane. I got a few other ones here. I got I, I, my anger list. Let <laughs> me think of it. People who go to the grocery store and get into the express lane when you've got two items and they've got 72 and it's yeah. self-checkout now, right? So, so it's not even like someone's going to call them on it. It's the six, uh, six item or eight item checkout, but it's the, you know, do it yourself thing, but they don't even bother to care. Yeah, and anymore. you feel bad as like a 16 year old cashier, like you're going to enforce these rules. Well, that too. You, yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. And, as, and my daughter's a young cashier. Yeah, so I, I, you, like, know, you don't want to have to deal with that. No, she comes home uh, nightly just about. I'm sure that's their aggravated. pet peeve. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, folks, ha- this is sp- special for Hamilton. I grew up in Toronto until I was about 18. I lived in Toronto. Um, didn't see this this often. This is a Hamilton special for mm-hmm. those who have lived here all their life. People who turn, and maybe it's the one-way street thing, mm-hmm. people who turn usually left, not from the left lane. They're in the second lane over and they put on their blinker and vroom, and then they decide to turn left. And I, I never used to see this until I got to Hamilton and discovered this is something we do here that's unique. <laughs> Frequently. Yeah. All the time. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I attract the horrible left turn drivers, but I see it so often. It's like real. And then more often than not, they're the same ones. And this is my other one I wrote down here. <laughs> the people who don't put on their turn signal Worst. or do it at the very last right. second. Okay. I got to turn left. Blink, and then wait, well, how am I supposed to see that? What yeah. else have I got? I got anything else? No, that's pretty much. There's a lot of other ones. I got a lot of rage to work through. <laughs> I think mine mostly revolve around people who assume that they can they could place their life or their safety in my hands and expect me to have no problem with that. Because, you know, if something goes wrong, uh, I don't want to be feel like I'm responsible for that, you know. And it goes back to the people crossing in the middle of the road or, or anything like that where, as you say, cyclists doing crazy things in front of you on the street or, um, you know, people just stopping their cars in the middle of nowhere and stepping out into the street. That, you know... And I think you have no idea here uh, what you're what you're gambling with. All right, one more before we go to break, uh, and this is because I see this from a particular person regularly around where I live. Men wearing spandex that is just way, way, way too tight <laughs> as they're out jogging. You know, <laughs> we all should have a fairly good idea of our body. And we should be reasonably adept and alert enough to know that, you know, not everybody is a swimsuit model, male or female. And that doesn't make you a bad person, but it should probably impact your clothing choices. It doesn't mean you can't wear a bathing suit, but maybe you don't wear the thong. It doesn't mean you can't (laughs) wear shorts, but maybe you don't wear the super short ones. It doesn't mean you can't wear exercise gear, but maybe you don't wear... Pants that are so tight, you can tell what religion you are. I mean, find some clothing that fits with 
maybe they're aspiring to be able to wear that's this. a nice it? thing but but have it keep it at home buy the pants keep them at home and say yeah you know what in six months I can wear those pants hey if they're out there running I say go for it big guy you know what the heck at least you're getting the exercise in <laughs> that, that's what's going to cause a car accident <laughs> you're listening to the Scott Radley show weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML Back on the Scott Radley Show, let me give you your Hutches on the Beach 70th anniversary quiz question answer tonight. I said there are five American states that have a direction in their name, North and South Dakota, North and South Carolina, and I asked you to come up with the other one. That, of course, West Virginia. Jacob, who got this one right tonight? It would be Mike who got this one right Well, Mike is our winner. Mike is number 14 because today the Leafs came out with their 100 greatest Maple Leafs of all time and number one was Dave Keon who wore number 14, so I chose 14. That's Mike. But who are all the other people who got this right tonight? Got 36 names here. Let's do it fast. Frank, Alan, Chris, Casper, Hugh, Chris, Diane, Sheila, Anne-Marie, Nicole, Dorothy, Don, Cheryl, Mike, Larry, Angelo, Michael, Gail, Dan, Mariette, Doris, some guy named Willie Nelson, Janice... Jesse, Ann, Lynn, Howard, and Alice, Nikki, Edward, Peter, Fred, Michael, George, Karen, Onaya, Brian, and Rebecca. Folks, well done. That was uh, that was a good one. Appreciate you uh, participating on this Friday. Have a great weekend, Scott. Thanks for doing this. Irkedfreelance.com yeah, if you want to avail yourself of Scott's excellent work. And Sarah Kane from CHML, you will hear her back all next week <laughs> doing news reports on CHML. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Folks, have a wonderful weekend. Jacob, thanks for your help tonight. We will talk to you on Monday. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900, CHML.